the aftermath of what's been really a long series of conversations that Jesus has had uh, with the Jews in Judea. And as these conversations have gone on, um, there's increased division amongst the Jews and what they thought of Jesus. Um, and there's also um, increase in, in violence. <clears throat> During these conversations, uh, the Jews who hated him wanted to stone him and arrest Jesus. And, and they tried again and again um, to stone him and then later on uh, arrest him, um, which to me seems a little backward. Um, but this has been a common theme. It's been building over the chapters and chapters. And ever since chapter seven, um, there's been an increase in this violent reaction um, from those who despise Jesus. And, and Jesus has escaped them yet again um, at the end of chapter 10. Um, he escaped them and, and went to the place where John was baptizing in the Jordan. Um, and that's where we pick up today. That's where uh, we find out um, Jesus's beloved friend, Lazarus, has died in the small town of Bethany. And Jesus decides to wait two days um, and then go back to Judea to uh, resurrect him. So that's, that's where we are. That's where we find our, our, ourselves in today's passage. Um, <clears throat> it's been a real joy to have Pastor Hans with us. Um, I would like to thank him personally for his ministry from the pulpit. Um, he is such, if you, in conversations, I'm sure he has such a love of the, for the word of God and uh, this, just the deep conviction to speak clearly, um, to, to make it abundantly clear um, what the Bible says. And, and for me in particular, um, for me in particular, my vocabulary has been growing since uh, he's come upon as the English pastor. Um, I'm so glad that we're doing video conferences and that we can only see uh, a little bit of us because a lot of times I'm looking up words on my smartphone during our conversations um, because I, I don't have I don't yet have that vocabulary. Um, <clears throat> but in chapter 10, during these uh, during these long dialogues, um, there were two words in particular that he, he presented the idea of locution and illocution. I apologize if I'm mispronouncing that, but the locution being the literal words in themselves. What does the text exactly say? And the illocution being uh, the intended meaning behind just the literal words. Um, and this has really helped explain some of the tricky passages that we just went over. Um, just like when at the end of chapter nine, where Jesus says, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see, your guilt remains. Um, but just as a reminder of some of the key themes that we went over, um, just a quick reminder <clears throat> of some of these themes that we've seen in the, in the recent chapters and really through the whole book of John. First is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. And in particular, um, Jesus is not the Messiah that we desire. Like we learned last week, it's not the one that we desperately want but so desperately need. And ultimately, Jesus as the Christ is, is a better, the, that his, he, Jesus as the Christ is a better way. Jesus as the Messiah he intended to be is much better than our small plans. Number two, that Jesus is the light of the world. That um, <clears throat> going back, Jesus is the light of the world, not and in this 
passage in particular, we're called not to walk in darkness. Um, <clears throat> and lastly, most uh, lastly, Jesus is the good shepherd. And uh, if you remember, he says, his sheep hear his voice and follow him. He came that way that we may have life. Jesus is the good shepherd. So <clears throat> as we're, or as we look at these, I, I, I love the way that John has written this gospel. John writes this gospel so the truths are spoken and then explicitly displayed. So there's truths that are kind of hard to handle and then they're just right after it. But a pure example is um, displayed before us. So for example, in chapter eight, Christ says that he is the light of the world and whoever follows him will not walk, walk in darkness and later on uh, will not walk in darkness. And later on in, those, in that chapter, he says, those who know him will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is the, the Christ is the light of the world. And if we follow him, we do not walk in darkness. And those who know him will know the truth and the truth will be, will set you free. And then right after that, in chapter nine, what happens? A blind man, a man whose eyes are trapped by darkness. He is healed and sees now by none other than the light of the world. And as he's interrogated by the Pharisees of, of what truly happened, right? As he's interrogated, what does he do? How does he respond to the Pharisees? He clings to the truth. The truth will set you free. He clings to the truth. He says simply, I do not know if this man is a sinner or not. All I know is that I was blind and now I see. And clinging to that simple truth, he is, well, he's, he's He's led right back to Christ, who he then follows, who he then proclaims as the son of man, right? He, he's kind of pushed by the Pharisees. But I love how, how in chapter eight, you have these ideas of light and truth. And chapter nine, it's so clearly displayed with um, the blind man. And likewise, in chapter 10, we had these newer ideas. We had these recent themes that I was talking about. Jesus is the Christ. He's the light of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. And it's displayed in our text so clearly um, in John 11. So firstly, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. He was, he is the light of the world and in him was life. Now, uh, remember back in chapter 10, he is the Christ, not the Christ we necessarily desire right as as the as the jews question him tell us plainly are you the messiah and he says i have told you plainly and in the illocution we see he's not the christ of our wants but the christ of our desperate desires now in chapter 11 the christ we want is the proactive christ right he hears of lazarus ill probably desperately ill and we expect him, the Christ we want, is to be up and running to Judea, right? Up and running to the town of Bethany to, to go after and heal his beloved friend. And as you see through the first half of this chapter uh, in, in Mary's and Martha's disappointment, they say, you know, if only you were here earlier, 
this would not have happened. You know, later on in the crowds, just before the tomb, they say, couldn't he have kept Lazarus from dying? Like how he healed the blind man? Better yet, better yet, maybe the, why, why not just heal him from where he was? Right? Just like how he healed the official son from Capernaum. The official son from Capernaum traveled 20 miles. Right? And Jesus speaks to that man and says, go, your son is, your son is healed. Right? Wouldn't, wouldn't that be the best? I think Thomas, as, as we read at the end of the passage, Thomas would have really liked that idea. You know, why do you have to go down to, to, to Bethany, to Judea? Why not just heal him from where you are? But no, despite the questions and the doubt, he is Christ. He, he doesn't need our vote. He doesn't need our opinion on the matter. He is the Christ, and he displays that he is the way, the truth, and in this passage, the life. The life. In full display, he brings Lazarus back from the dead. You know, not just a healing but a full resurrection. Now, surely, in hindsight, his, his way is better. His plans are higher. Because he doesn't seek to, to cover simple ailments, but he came to conquer death itself. When I think of Jesus as the Christ, when I, th I think of this passage, I think it's best summarized in John 1.4. John 1.4 says, In him was life, and the life was the light of all men. So Jesus is the Christ. Secondly, Jesus is the light of the world. So if we go quickly back to John 11, 7 through 10. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. His disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And, you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. So he, he answers this as Jesus is um, the light of the world. He answers this with a parable. And, and this is a parable he, he's used previously just before um, healing the blind man. So, G, um, <clears throat> so those who walk in the light will not stumble. Now, who is, in these passages, in this book, who is the light? Jesus, of course. And he does not stumble, right? You, you can see that <clears throat> throughout this book, he says, my time has not yet come. I'm coming to the appointed time. He does things with the fullest assurance. That is the life of Christ. That he is the light. He is the way. He is the truth. He's the only way you can see. Now, who is the night? Who represents the night in this passage or in this parable? And it's, well, it's his enemies. It's the Pharisees, right? They're constantly stumbling, right? They're constantly, they, they're not sure how to handle them. They seek to arrest him. And he escapes. They seek to stone him multiple times and he escapes, right? He causes division amongst the people. The Pharisees are doing everything in their power to try and get to Jesus, but they're constantly stumbling like those who walk in the night. 
They can't arrest him. They can't stone him. He's causing division, not just amongst the people, but with amongst those of the higher order, the temple guards, and even the Pharisees himself. Remember, Nicodemus challenges the idea of the, uh, of, of the Pharisees simply going after him. They can't figure him out. And, and worse yet, this is all playing, or, or worse yet for the Pharisees, I should say, this is all playing according to Jesus's plan. That as much as they try to uh, get at him, he simply becomes more popular and he simply is coming and fulfilling the time that he has uh, ordained. So light versus night, Jesus is the light. Pharisees are so clearly the night. And I think one thing that we really have to ask ourselves amidst this time is, are we walking in the light? Are we walking with Christ? Or are we walking in darkness? Do you find yourself constantly stumbling, constantly in doubt, constantly in fear? Or do you find yourself, your hope, fulfilled in the light of Christ? So are your hopes based on Christ? Or are they based on the issues of the pandemic? Is, is, is what brings you hope, is, is what you're seeking, is the number of case numbers in the county or in the state? Are we flattening the curve? Do you look at the stock market and how it's tumbling? And, and does that cause you to stumble? Does that cause you to doubt? Does it cause worry or anxiety? Worse yet, is, 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 are you, is your hope is, are your eyes, is your heart fixated on the certain politics of this unfortunate time? So there's this, um, there's this phrase, there's this phrase that's been going around. Um, <clears throat> I don't know if you can see that. It says very smallly at the bottom. Sorry, I found this image last minute. Um, but it says, we're all in this together, right? We're all in this together. And, and, and the idea that I, I'm not trying to cause division, but I'm trying to really show us or reveal Christ's light. So we're all in this together. And the idea of this is, is, is if we keep social distance boundaries, which I'm not um, trying to fight against, but if, if we do all these things, right? If, 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 if we put our efforts and our focus on flattening the curve, on finding a vaccine, on reopening safely, on, on lifting our economy, then, then things will go back to normal. Things will, things will go back to the, the way we want it, right? So that's the great hope that the world is trying to provide. See, the world's plan is, is social distancing. The, the world's plan is, is to focus on when we can get a vaccine. The, the world's plan is focused on all these other things. And I'm not saying those are wrong things, but I'm saying when our focus is on it, when our hope is on it, when we're constantly reading the news, constantly reading about um, updates and, and uh, from what's going on in the world, when, we, when we're so fixated on it, that's where our hope comes from. 
And let's be honest, a lot of us, I think, have, have spoken to ourselves and said, you know, I just, I just can't, I just really hope, you know, herd immunity takes over. See, that's, that's the hope that the world can provide. And that's the hope of darkness. Because the great hope of this world is to be blind, to walk in the darkness, and to not stumble. That's what we're hoping for. That's what all these different plans are. It's a false hope. You see, Christ, as the light of the world, he came to solve the ultimate problem. He came to solve and conquer death itself. And if we are walking in the light, if you're walking in his life that he gives us, if we're following him, then even in this time, our hope is still fixated on him. If things go back to normal, if there's a new normal, if things get worse, our hope continues to be Christ. Have you been more convinced to read the news about what's going on, or have you been more convinced to spend your time in prayer with your shepherd? Who provides? Who cares for you? So, Naya, can you come here? Can you come here, please? Okay. Oh. She's feeling a little shy right now. She's feeling a little shy right now. Naya, can can you, uh, can you answer a question? Are you too shy? That's okay. All right. <clears throat> See, this is, this is a scary time. Um, this, the pandemic is, is dramatic. It is scary. And I'm not trying to downplay it. And I'm not trying to say um, that I don't care for people's lives or that we shouldn't social distance or that we shouldn't be cautious. But um, Naya and, and Orly have been enjoying going outside, um, enjoying the wonderful weather. And with this time, with this wonderful weather, there are certain um, creatures that uh, begin seeking to make a home, uh, hornets in particular. Now, Naya and Ora, all right, Naya, I'll let you go back. <laughs> now, N Naya, and orally are terrified of hornets, terrified of um, anything like that, really. Uh, we're trying to differentiate between like honeybees and wasps and all that, but they're terrified. And, and you know what? I don't blame them because I hate hornets. <laughs> I don't like them either, right? And we're trying to teach them to be calm in this time. We're trying to teach them to, you know, we don't need to freak out every time we see one. But nonetheless, they do. Of course they do. They're children. It's, it's a learning process, right? So they freak out and they run to me. They run to me. They're scared. They're dad, dad. And they run to me. And I say that because how disappointing it would be that in this time that we're scared, in this time that we really don't know what the future holds, we really 
don't know the, our, our careers anymore, our plans, everything's, everything's upended, it seems. And in the time of, of fear and the time of worry and a time where we really don't know, how disappointing would it be to not run back to your father? To not run back to the shepherd? And that's why, that's why I bring that up is because God, the Father, Christ, he wants to uphold you. Right? Just in the last passage, I've come that you have life and life abundantly. But it involves seeking him in this time of worry. Not looking to the world, not looking for hope and assurance and all these other things, but looking to Christ. So as I already alluded to, the second point that we had there is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. Sorry, I think I misplaced myself. <clears throat> Jesus is the good shepherd. And <clears throat> if you read this passage <clears throat> he or as as the book of john has gone on there is this idea that jesus keeps and jesus keeps pushing and that john keeps pushing is the idea of believe you know john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth right whoever believes in him he, he, he keeps repeating himself believe believe in me believe in my name believe 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 right and, and a big question is well how? how how do we believe how do we do this belief how do we show it how do we display it and in the last chapter it's finally highlighted chapter 10 it's finally highlighted sheep hear my voice and follow me and follow so this, the idea of how do we fulfill our belief is we follow. We follow faithfully. And what I love about is these three points. These three points. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the good shepherd. All of these come together in this in, in this in john 11 all of these come together and they come particularly together in um <clears throat> they come particularly together in thomas so if we look again at the end of um the end of our passage today it says then jesus told them plainly lazarus has died and for your sake i am glad that i was not there so that you may believe but let us go to him so thomas called the twin said to his disciples let us also go that we may die with him And so these three points, oops, these three points, Jesus is the Christ, Jesus is the light of the world, Jesus is the good shepherd, is all exemplified in Thomas, in this passage. Jesus is the Christ, he's the light of the world, he's walking with, Thomas is walking with Christ, walking with Christ, right? And, and, and there are fears, there are, there's a, a very apparent fear of seeing how many times the Jews have sought to kill Jesus. Thomas, in a way, hangs his head 
hangs his head, oh, sorry, and said, let us also go that we may die with him. So he's convinced. Thomas is convinced. If I go, they're going to they're gonna kill Jesus, and they're going to kill me, right? So he, he walks with the light of the world. He sees that Jesus is the Christ, but he has this doubt. He has this fear. But he, he hangs his head and says, you know, I will follow. I will follow. Jesus is the good shepherd. And as this passage goes on, everyone is following Jesus. You see Martha follow Jesus. You see Mary follow Jesus. And the disciples follow Jesus as the good shepherd. So Thomas Thomas and the others display what it means as Jesus is the good shepherd. We are not as, as shepherds or as sheep, as followers. We're not called to examine the terrain. We're not called to examine the directions. We're called to listen to Christ's voice and to follow. And Thomas, even in his doubt, even as he vocalized his doubt, he hung out and it followed. And this is what I love about this miracle, is that Thomas is convinced. Thomas is convinced, if I go, I will die, Jesus will die, all the disciples, all his followers will die. Right? Everyone's convinced that. And Thomas, in his going, in his faith, despite his hesitation, in his faith, in following him, he experiences the opposite. Thomas is convinced if he goes, living men will die. And as he goes and as he sees Lazarus raised from the dead, the exact opposite happens. A dead man is resurrected. A dead man now lives. Have, have you experienced the opposite in these times? As the world continues to fret and fear and walk in darkness and stumble and hoping not to stumble again. Have you experienced light? Have you experienced life? Have you experienced the opposite? See, in the last last passage, Jesus says he comes that we may not only have life, but life abundantly. Right? That even in times of fear, even in times of doubt, that we experience life in Christ. And if if we cling to him, if we hold to him and go, hold to him and see, if we hold to him and follow faithfully, we experience this life abundant. I, I I will be honest. In many ways, I'm tired of comfort. I'm tired of ease. I'm tired of so desperately protecting myself with the darkness of the world. 
I want life abundant. I want to follow him faithfully. And I want to experience the opposite. Right? I, I want to be like Paul and Silas who were imprisoned and singing praises to God, not because they would soon be released, but in that moment of darkness, singing praises to God out of joy. Right? I want to be, I want to be like Elijah on the mount when he's fearing for his life, when he's running, uh, running for his life. He climbs the mountain and he says he hears God's voice in the sound of sheer silence, in the low whisper. I want to be seeking God like this. I, I, I don't want comfort. And I think this is where the church stands. That's how we be the church today. This is where the church should be more illuminated ever, ever than before. That when in the times of darkness, in the times of doubt, where everyone's fretting over this and that, we still have our hope. We still have our God and King and Savior. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you call us, that you care for us. Lord, help us to look to you in this time. Help us to put our hope in you. Put our hope in the light. Help us not to stumble, Lord. Keep us from temptations of hoping in the ways of this world. Help us to be wise during this time. But help us ultimately to rejoice in you and what you've done. Help us to follow you. To not to, even though we may question the way, May you speak to us. May you give us comfort, our light, our Messiah, and shepherd. Pray this in Jesus' name.